let's go ahead and get started. And if you're still fixing coffee or getting signed in or any of that, it's all good, no hurry. Uh, but really glad to have you here. This is what we call our inquirers class. This is uh, an opportunity just to, to, to tell you more about who we are as a church, where we came from, what we believe, and how you can get involved. We do believe in transparency on the front end. We want you to know everything about us so that you can make a wise and informed decision about whether this is the church to which the Lord is calling you. Um, if you're coming to this class as a potential uh, member uh, seeking, or, or as somebody seeking membership, this class doesn't bind you to be a member. So you may go through the class and say, okay, uh, this, I don't know that this is where the Lord's calling me. I don't know that I believe this or that issue. Uh, and so there's nothing binding about this. Of course, it is a required step in the membership process. You need to aim to attend at least seven of the nine classes uh, to move towards membership. We are recording them, and so if you have to miss, uh, we'll make those available to you. Um, But really glad to have all of you here. Some of you have taken this class a few times. It's not that they have failed, uh, but uh, for example, Heidi is our, uh, she is by no means remedial, but this is about her fifth time through the class. Is that right? Fourth. Fourth. All right. Uh, so it's not that she failed. In fact, she could teach the class by now. <laughs> yep. Um, so really glad to have y'all here. Let me open with prayer. Lord God in heaven, I thank you so much for the church of Jesus Christ. We often think of the church through mere organizational and institutional lenses. Uh, we think of it as a, uh, a corporation and not enough in terms of what it truly is, which is the body of the Lord Jesus. Um, So united is Jesus Christ with his church that he gave himself for her. Not as an institution, but a corpus, a body of people. People who were chosen from before the foundation of the world. Upon whom you set your love long before we had done anything, good or bad. And this is a love that cannot be disrupted or taken away by this world. Father, as we uh, seek to learn more about your church through this class, I pray that more than anything, we would learn more of the glory and wonder of Jesus Christ. For he alone is worthy of our praise and worthy of our attention. So use this time over the next two months, we pray, to give us a greater vision of the glory of Jesus. And we pray this in his matchless name. Amen. All right, y'all, come on in and get seated. We're going to be working through this Inquirer's Class booklet, so it'd be really helpful if you bring it week after week. Um, If you lose it, that's fine. We'll print you another one. Uh, But if you can keep up with it, you are going to have, you'll, you'll have a much better view of what's going on through the class if you bring it. So front page is Table of Contents. Uh, so this is what we're going to cover uh, over these nine classes. It's really a picture of the whole life of First Scots, what we believe and where we came from and who we are and where you can get involved in the life of the church. So uh, we're going to start that process today. If you move to page two, you've got some uh, just basic information there in case you ever forget any of this stuff. Uh, so you've got our website and our phone number. You've got Pastor Walton's information and my information here. Uh, You also have information for Carol Ingram. Carol Ingram is our office administrator. Uh, If you ever want to know what's kind of the best thing about First Scots, one of them is Carol Ingram. Um, She keeps the world moving here. She runs our office and does a phenomenal job with it. Um, At First Scots, we have two people on staff, Pastor Walton and myself. That means everything else is done by volunteers, Um, folks who just desire to serve. And on any given week, there are about 40 to 50 people who are serving in some capacity in the life of the church, whether it's teaching uh, or working in the office, um, helping with the grounds and the building, all of that. In fact, we have a volunteer office staff of around 15 people that come in, and each of them has a job that they do uh, between Monday and Thursday. And uh, so we, we function on the backs of you guys, on, on the, with the help of the body of Christ. 
Uh, and so there's, I'll give you more information about that. But you see there, I think you also have on that page that organizational chart. That's just so you have a clue of how we are laid out as a church. Uh, and it'll give you a picture of who's in charge of what. So if you ever have concerns, if you have questions about finances, that tells you who you can go to. If you wanted to uh, know about the missions committee and how that functions, it tells you you'd go to Ron Wernley. If you had questions about the safety and security team, you'd go to Michael Moore and so on. So it gives you a great picture of everything that goes on in the life of the church there. Um, Move on to the next page. This is just a welcome letter from me and from the elders of First Scots. And if you're uh, new to the terminology of elders and deacons, you'll have a pretty good grasp on that uh, as we go through this class. But I want to just kind of talk about why we do this class. Um, This class gives you the, the information you need, not only to make that decision about what church the Lord's calling you to, but also the opportunity to know how you can get involved in it. Uh, The further we go through the class, we're going to start to talk about the different ministries that we have here within the walls of the church, ministries uh, that we are associated with, such as Radiance Women's Center or Child Child Evangelism Fellowship, and all of those things are going to give you opportunities to serve. So this class tells you who we are, what we believe, how you can get involved. Uh, let me ask you, how many of you have ever joined a church that had a membership class that was more than maybe a couple hours long? Okay, so it's probably not the norm. Um, in fact, a lot of churches either don't do a membership class or it's sort of a, a one-day thing, um, and there's probably lots of merit to that. Uh, we do it longer for a number of reasons. One of them is... Uh, the, the history of the church, we see this has been the practice. How many of you have ever heard of a book called the Didache? Have you all ever heard of that? The Didache was, in the second century, the equivalent of your inquirer's class manual. And it was a, a program for new Christians to go through to be trained for church membership. How long do you think that that class lasted? It was a year. Yeah, the Didache training um, for new members in, or uh, for new converts in the life of the church in the, in the second century was a year-long process. So when you think about it like that, nine weeks isn't really that big a deal, is it? In fact, in nine weeks, we don't cover everything that would be beneficial to cover, but hopefully we'll get to everything that's uh, necessary. Uh, this class is, to me, a joyful time. This is, in my opinion, the time I, move, I become people's pastor. Uh, Ron and I've talked about this through the years and me uh, just to lighten my load not teaching this class at times and I'm not willing to ever give it up because this this really is when when I get to know you this is when I feel like we move from you being a visitor to me being your pastor Uh, and so it's it really is vital there's a few reasons beyond tradition that we do this that we do this class one is it builds unity you know, a few years ago, I did, a, um, I did a count of all the churches that had directly fed into First Scots. So members had come from these different churches. A few years ago, the count was 26 different churches had fed directly into us. Uh, by now, the count is higher because we've gotten bigger and, and the Lord has added to us uh, from more places through the years. Um, And so everybody that comes to us from any direction has some idea of what a church is supposed to be like. Um, You're used to doing things a certain way. And so one of the ways we seek to build unity is to show you how how and why we do what we do as a church. Um, And so we don't want people to to, to come in and, and to realize that this is different from their old church. Every church has its own DNA. Every church has its own fingerprint. And so when we go through this church, we're sort of, through this class, we're teaching you the DNA of this church so that you can come in and experience great unity with the brothers and sisters in Christ. I think it has paid off through the years. Uh, what we've seen in the last four or five years is just an incredible amount of unity as a church family, incredible amount of just desire to serve alongside one another and be on the same page. Very little bickering, very little dissension. It's, it's been a tremendous grace of the Lord. And I have to attribute at least part of that to the work of this class, um, building unity. A second thing it does 
is it gives us an opportunity to show you on the front end everything we believe. So we're going to talk about some hard things, um, depending on what your background is. And we always have to sort of adapt the class based on where our people are coming from. And so sometimes there may be a lot of questions about things like predestination. Sometimes there's a lot of questions about infant baptism. Sometimes there's a lot of questions about women's ordination. Uh, and so we sort of, uh, we adapt the class based on what the makeup of the class is at the time. So if the questions are largely about, uh, about infant baptism, we'll spend some time on that. If everybody says, no, we totally get that, then we'll move on to other things. And so there's a little bit of flexibility built in with the class. Um, here's what we don't want. We don't want you to join the church and then three months down the road, you realize we believe something or practice something that you just can't agree with in good conscience. We don't want you to find yourself every Sunday going, oh, I can't go worship there. I'm going to have to break my membership vows because they believe X or because they practice Y. Uh, and so we really want you to know what you're getting. This has always been my philosophy. This is probably an embarrassing story and I shouldn't tell it, but I'm going to tell it. Uh, Stephanie and I, we started dating when we were about 19 years old. The 19-year-old male brain is not fully formed. Is everybody clear on that, right? Mine was very unformed at that point. Uh, I knew two things. I love Jesus, and I really love Stephanie, too. Uh, and so I wanted her to, I wanted to get to know her. We, we dated. We were both fairly young Christians at the time, and so we didn't really have a, a healthy paradigm for what dating looked like. Uh, but the Lord grew us together. But one of the things was I wanted her to know what she was really getting, because in dating, you tend to want to impress each other, right? You, you, you don't show each other the real you. And then, of course, you get married, and the person's like, who am I now stuck with? I can't believe this is the same person. So I decided to do that on the front end. And so we had been dating for just a little while, and I decided, you know what? For a week, I'm going to be the nastiest. I'm going to be me at my absolute worst so that she knows what she's getting. And I'm, I didn't shower. I didn't brush my teeth. All, again, 19-year-old brain, not fully formed. But I was giving Stephanie on the front end an opportunity to see, hey, here's kind of worst case scenario of what you're stuck with for the rest of your life if you marry me. Now, that was a really stupid thing to do, but it's the same principle of what we do in this class. We want to be as transparent with you as we can about everything we believe and how we practice so that you can make an informed decision. We're going to come to across some things that you're going to have to wrestle with, and I would love to sit down with you and talk about uh, these things. So, let me just ask a question. How many of you come from a church background that practices infant baptism? All right. So some of you, that's, that's, you're, you're very familiar with it. Others of you, this is going to be totally new for you. And I want to be able to uh, not, I, I want you to be able to talk through, sit down with me or with Pastor Walton or with one of the elders, and we'll talk through why do we do this? Is this just a matter of tradition or is this a matter of biblical conviction? If it's just a matter of tradition, that's a really poor reason to do something. But if it's a matter of biblical conviction that we can articulate to you from the scriptures, then you need to take that very, very seriously. Same with the doctrine of predestination. Uh, if, if you came from what's called an Arminian background, those are the two broad categories, either Calvinistic or Arminian, Reformed or Arminian backgrounds, you've probably kind of heard caricatures about uh, Reformed theology and the doctrine of predestination. I want to sit down with you and explain, no, this is what the Bible actually teaches. And if you reject the idea of God's sovereign predestination, you've got a whole swath of biblical passages that you're going to have to completely ignore in order to reject that view. So I want to get to sit down with you and talk through whatever you're struggling with. So that's the second thing. The third thing this class does helps new members become acclimated with how we function. Um, how, do you, how do you get involved here? How, how do you build relationships? How do you serve? What does it look like to serve at First Scott's? We want to acclimate you with those things. You know, we are not a, a program-driven church. There's a lot of churches you can go to, and as soon as you go, they get you involved in some program of ministry. That's really not how we function. If, if somebody's particularly gifted in an area, we'll certainly involve them in ministry as they're needed. We believe God is always adding to the body. But, you know, the main thing we want you to do is actually be equipped to go out into your workplace, into your neighborhood, into your homes to witness to the gospel. We see you as our missionaries. And if you get that, 
I would argue that the life, your life at this church will be much more satisfying. If you just want to come to church and, and kind of find some job here to do and then disconnect the rest of your life from it, it's actually going to be a very unsatisfying church for you. What we want to do is equip you with the tools to go into the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you know, how many of you have at least one neighbor who's not a believer? Okay. How many of you have a coworker that's not a believer? Right? How many of you have family members that are not believers? Wow, God just gave you your mission field, didn't he? He's calling you to go into your world with the gospel. That's one of the things about the Great Commission. It's, it's often translated, go therefore and make disciples. And so we think of that as, oh, I need to go across the world to do that, to be a missionary. But really, the more literal reading of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is as you are going, make disciples. So as you're going about your daily life with young children, make disciples. Or children in the classroom, make disciples. Or your grandchildren, make disciples. Or the clients that you go see, make disciples. God has given you all of life as your ministry. And so we want you to understand that. Our main duty is not to say, hey, go serve in this classroom. Our main duty is to give you the tools you need to go into your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, and proclaim Jesus Christ. And guess what? We want to come with you to do that. So if you have unbelieving neighbors, we want you to have a cookout and invite other people from this church and connect your church family with your neighborhood. If you have unbelieving family members, do the same thing. Connect this church family with your unbelieving family members. Um, so it helps new members become acclimated with how we function. Fourth, gives you an opportunity to know how to get involved. So you know, especially with that org chart and some of the things we're gonna hit on as we go through the class, it's gonna give you a, a, a better perspective on how life works here at this church. Um, we really appreciate you taking the class and making the sacrifice to be here. Look over at the next page if you would. It's very simple, but this is an activities calendar, the things that go on in the life of the church. Um, This is a church, and I'm going to assume most churches are this way, but I've particularly noticed it here. If the only thing you do is come for an hour of worship on Sunday morning, you're going to feel fairly disconnected from the church. If that's the only thing you do. If you show up for an hour on Sunday morning, you're probably not going to build meaningful relationships. You're probably going to feel like you're an outsider to the church. If you'll come to Sunday school, I think you'll feel more connected. And then we have the fellowship time before and after, and you start to build relationships. If you don't hurry out after the service, you'll, you'll build more relationships. If you come back for Sunday evening, I think that's really when you'll get to know people. In fact, I would argue Sunday evening is sort of our church at its sweetest. That's just where we really get to know each other in the time of fellowship before and after. All I'm saying is the more you invest in relationships for this church, the more you will get out of it. We've had folks that showed up for an hour on Sunday morning for a year or years, and they'd say, well, I just feel so disconnected. And I say, you know, you come in at 1039, you leave the second the benediction's over, of course you feel disconnected. You're not building relationships at all. Uh, and so we want to encourage you to consider beyond just the hour of worship uh, how and when you can get involved. So look over that uh, activities calendar. Do particularly want to invite ladies to participate in two Bible studies that we've got starting back this week. Uh, They took a summer break. So one of them is on uh, Wednesday mornings. We will have child care for that. And so glad to be able to to offer that this time. And it's not just babysitting. It's Sally Purser is going to be teaching a class for children during that time. So it'll be uh, serious and wonderful discipleship. Uh, that's Wednesday morning, and then Thursday evening. And Dawn, will you tell us what y'all are studying on Thursday evenings? Yeah, Thursday evening, we'll have Bible study. We'll study program. We've been
Is there like an age limit to that? Good. There's very little that we do as a church that is age constrained. In fact, we've tried to work in the opposite direction. One of the patterns we've seen is churches so tend to gear themselves towards, towards age segregation that they treat children like little children. They disconnect children from the life of the church, and then as children grow older, they really don't know where they fit in. I would argue that's part of the reason we see such attrition when, when children hit 18 years old and get out on their own, why they abandon the church, because for so long they've been told that sort of serious discipleship is not for them. They've gotten stuck away in Sunday school classrooms or children's church, and they were taught children's stories about the Bible, um, but they weren't really given serious discipleship. We believe that all ages are capable for, of discipleship. It doesn't mean that everybody can interpret it or understand things at the same level. We do have um, Sunday school classes for different age groups, certainly, to try to teach in age-appropriate ways, but they're not things that you're going to say, hey, can my, can my sixth grader sit in on adult on this class? We'd say, absolutely. If, if a child is hungry to grow, we want to give them the tools for that. We never want to water things down or sugarcoat things according to age groups. So that uh, Thursday evening Sunday school, is, uh, uh, women's Bible study, excuse me, has a broad age group. Um, you've got young ladies, you've got older ladies. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, so Wednesday mornings, uh, Thursday evening opportunities. For men, we've got a Tuesday uh, noon Bible study that Pastor Walton teaches uh, right here in this room. Um, men, if there is no, if, if you are hoping to get involved in a Bible study, but those don't match in a schedule that you have, let me know that and we will seek to accommodate that, um, whether it's a formal study of the church or an informal gathering of guys. Uh, let us know that. Um, so look over the activities calendar and really pray about where you can get involved beyond just Sunday morning. Look at the next page to the leadership of First Scots. Um, my name's Alex Mark. Uh, I have been at First Scots since 2013, but I grew up right around the corner from here. So if you were to take the third uh, turn at this roundabout and go down to an area called Pleasant Point where you guys live, where Gabe lives, just before Pleasant Point is where I spent my whole life. I lived in two houses, one on either end of, that, of what's called Bajala Road, um, so I'm from here. My family's still here. My family, um, historically in Beaufort is actually a Jewish family. How many of you knew there was a synagogue in downtown Beaufort? It's a pretty little building. In fact, when I was a little kid, it seemed like a really big building. And then I went back as an adult for a funeral and I realized it was really small, but you know, that experience. Um, so I was raised in the synagogue. Now you would think that would give me a really good gra- uh, grasp on the Old Testament scriptures. I sort of had a leg up, right? There was one thing that was wrong. The whole service was in Hebrew, and I didn't speak any Hebrew. In fact, almost nobody there spoke Hebrew. And so it was an hour of, I have no idea what you're talking about, and nobody else does either. Every Friday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Um, so I was raised going to synagogue till the time I was about five or six, and then we started to drift away from that. Uh, from age six to age 18, I had almost no religious uh, background. No, nothing really, again, the, the teenage brain is not fully formed, and so there wasn't a whole lot going on up here. Had a strong desire to conform to the world and to take advantage of the world's wealth and opportunities. So as I reached age to, to think about college, I decided I was going to be a pre-law major. Very black and white. Lawyers are rich. I'll be a lawyer. And so I went, uh, started looking for colleges that had a pre-law major, couldn't really find a college that I loved. So this was my senior year. I was actually a student right here at Buford Academy across the street. Uh, did not know the Lord. I was walking along one day at the Buford Waterfront Park, and I saw a guy with a T-shirt, and it said, Presbyterian College Theta Chi Fraternity Dukes of Hazard Party. How many of y'all are familiar with the Dukes of Hazard? It was the greatest show ever made. And I saw that shirt and I said, if they have a Dukes of Hazard party, I'm going to that school. And I enrolled at Presbyterian College, sight unseen, based on that t-shirt. Again, not fully formed. Y'all understand this, right? But God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. 
I went to Presbyterian College uh, as a freshman. If you know anything about PC, it's, it is not a biblically grounded school. In fact, there is much animosity towards biblical Christianity at Presbyterian College. I'll, I'll try to help you unpack that as we go through this class. Uh, but I, I was there at PC, and I had a Christian roommate and a Christian resident advisor, and both of them relentlessly shared the gospel with me. Now, I was a total rebel. If, if they, uh, everything they told me, I would go and do the exact opposite of. I would try to appease them and appeal to them at times, but I was living a, a dual lifestyle. I was in a fraternity. I was partying very hard every weekend, and then I would try to go to some of the Christian Bible studies and stuff and act like everything was okay. Hopefully that's an encouragement to you who are living with or close to unbelievers, that God can use your words to draw them to himself. And God used the words of an 18-year-old boy and a 20-year-old boy to draw me to himself January of my freshman year. So just think of that sequence of events. I chose a college. I wanted to go to a college that had a pre-law major so that I could be rich. I chose that college based on what I saw on a t-shirt in the waterfront park. And in it, I met the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was well discipled during my time there. Uh, not only did I meet the Lord Jesus there, I met Stephanie there. Uh, Stephanie is from Greenwood, South Carolina. Do any of you know Greenwood? Are you familiar with it? So she grew up in Greenwood, uh, grew up in, uh, in the church, but didn't really start walking with the Lord until college. Uh, we started dating through college. We got married. I was a year ahead of her. Again, not in maturity, but in chronology. Uh, so I graduated before she did. I moved to Dillon, South Carolina. Have any of you ever been to Dillon? South of the border. That's the thing it's famous for. That and dead people vote a lot in Dillon. There's all sorts of voter fraud in Dillon. Those are the two things it's really known for. What it should be known for is phenomenal people, incredibly godly folks in that area. So I moved to Dillon. I was a youth director at a PCA church in Dillon. I uh, thought I'd stay a year or two. I ended up staying as youth director for four years. Then I moved to a Christian school, and I became a Spanish teacher and assistant headmaster of the Christian school for three years. Um, we got married after my first year there. So I lived in Dillon seven years. Stephanie lived there six years. We had our first son, Joshua, there. I was so well discipled there. I had men in that church who invested in me so well. Guess what? None of them, the, none of the main ones who invested in me were pastors. So if you ever wonder what the importance is of godly church members, one of them was a farmer and the other one sold agricultural chemicals. And the third one uh, was a director of the mental health unit. I don't know what that means about me, but he was a good disciple maker with me. He invested his life into me well. The three biggest impacts in my walk with the Lord for those seven years were faithful laymen investing in a younger man. Um, one of them I still talk to every morning. He is, continues even three hours away to be the biggest influence in my life, apart from my wife. Uh, 2010, after seven years in Dillon, we left and I went to Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. Uh, RTS is what it's commonly known as. Any of you familiar with any of the RTS campuses? There's like 73 campuses around the world at this point. They're taking over the world one theological education at a time. I uh, went there in 2010. I got to study under a man who had begun mentoring me, uh, a man named Douglas Kelly. Dr. Kelly is probably one of the great theologians alive today. Uh, one day I asked him, I mean, he's got a photographic memory. I've never seen anything like it. One day I asked him, Dr. Kelly, how many languages do you know? And, and he said, I'm not really sure. So we started counting, and he could remember nine that he knew, but he probably had forgotten a couple that he knew. He got mad at me one day because I asked him for a resource on some theological topic, and he handed me a book in Dutch. And um, I said, Dr. Kelly, I don't, I don't know Dutch. He said, stupid American educational system, and he just walked off. Brilliant guy, a whole other world than I'm living in, but he was also an incredibly godly man. He discipled me as well through seminary. Uh, moved here in 2013. There was a church that was just starting to form, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment, giving you some of the history of First Scots. Pastor Walton is on staff here. Pastor Walton is our associate pastor. He and I function um, more like co-equals uh, in office. He, I, I trust him. He is a godly man. When we interviewed him, one of the things that put him 
over the edge against other candidates was we asked Hillary, his wife, what, what do you love about him? And she said he prays about everything. Now, it sounds like a good sales pitch, right, if you're looking for a job. Well, I can say after him being here since uh, January of 2020, he prays about everything. He is a man of deep faith and piety and prayer. He left uh, to come here. He had planted a church in Stuttgart, Germany. Y'all heard this past Sunday from Nathan Gibbs. Nathan was uh, in that church that Steve and Hillary uh, helped to plant there in Stuttgart. Uh, were there German tax law and some other things made their time in, in Stuttgart come to an end. And so he was looking for a call and we called him in uh, January of 2020, which means he moved here uh, and then two months later COVID hit. Uh, but he has been a tremendous co-laborer, um, a man whose gifts are only exceeded by his godliness. Um, if you look at the next page, this is page six, We've got our session and our diaconate. Now, there's one mistake on this page. Um, you've got that list of four elders there. Mark Sin and Bo Warren are reversed. So Bo should be the one left of center, and Mark is the one right of center. So that's my bad. How many of you come from churches that had elders and deacons? Um, Church leadership is an area where I think what has happened through the years is the scriptures have been, the thought process has been that the scriptures are adequate to talk about the gospel and about the Christian life, but they don't really tell us a lot about church leadership. And so you end up with positions like a pope, if you think about in the, the Roman Catholic context, or, or you, you've got archbishops in, in these hierarchical power uh, structures. Those are very much based on human logic and often based on human governmental systems, but not very based on scripture. If you read the scriptures, you see two offices. One office that's primarily focused on spiritual leadership. It's the office of an elder. Now, the word elder, uh, we'll come to this later in this class, but the word elder and the word um, bishop are really interchangeable. Uh, But elder, I think, captures the, the job well. But elders are given spiritual oversight of the church. Deacons are, in a sense, they're the right-hand men to the elders. They're the ones that help make sure the elders are able to do their job and not get distracted with things like uh, benevolence ministry and the building and keeping of finances and all that stuff. They help make sure the the, the elders are able to focus on their primary duty of shepherding. So as we go through this class, you'll, you'll get a better grip on how that works, how the elders function, how the deacons function. I am technically an elder, what's called a teaching elder. Pastor Walton is as well. The four that you see here are what we call ruling elders. Uh, so we're both, we all have equal votes. So my vote and Ron's vote count the same when it comes to uh, leadership of the church. Our callings just look different. Um, one thing we want you to do through this class is to get to know the leaders of the church. And so I want to invite all the participants in this class to stay for lunch after worship next Sunday. Uh, join us for lunch after worship next Sunday. We'll give you details about that through email. Uh, but it's an opportunity really for you to just get to know the leadership of the church and for them to get to know you as well. So you'll learn more about elders and deacons as we go through the class. Let's talk about the history of First Scots. This church uh, was officially founded in 2013, but actually the rumblings for it and the need for it became identified before that. And it was in 2012 that a group of folks who were in a local Presbyterian church noticed and recognized and rose to meet a need that was uh, here. And that was the need of a solid Bible-believing Presbyterian church in Beaufort. It was their estimate, it's my estimate as well, that that did not exist. There were several Presbyterian churches, um, but like with all denominations, not all denominations are the same. And so within the Presbyterian world, there are two sort of main denominations in America. There is the PCA, 
That's what we are. There is what's called the PCUSA, and that's what um, the, the folks that founded our church and many of the earliest members were a part of. The PCA, uh, you're going to learn more about it as we go, the denomination we are part of. I think it's a solid uh, denomination, and it's getting better and better and better, in my opinion. We go to, to the annual meetings of the, the PCA every year, and we see the improvements that are happening to become a more faithful denomination. You know, no denomination is a dynasty. They tend to have a shelf life of 100 to 200 years, and the first 100 may be faithful. The last 100, they tend to drift away. You can just see that through American history. Well, the PCUSA is a denomination that has loosened its grip on the scriptures. And as a result, a number of things have crept into the church. And you can think about Jude, exactly what we're studying in Jude. Things have crept into the church that go against the plain teaching of scripture. One of the main ones that really precipitated the creation of a new church, the establishment of a new church, was liberalism um, that was normalizing sexual deviancy, uh, particularly the sin of homosexuality. It was seeking to normalize that. And the folks that were watching this happen, who would go on to start First Scots Presbyterian Church uh, of Beaufort, they recognized that is an unbiblical way. There is no way you can reconcile homosexual practice with biblical Christianity. You cannot marry the two because you come up with something else. And they were aware that their old church, the old denomination that many of them had served in for generations in their families, they were aware that 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 church had departed from biblical Christianity. It was hard for many of them. It was a great sacrifice. There were many who lost good friendships to form this church. But they knew exactly what Jude is telling us, that we must contend for the faith. And so in 2013, this church was started. In God's providence, that was the same point I was about to graduate from seminary. Uh, John Gatch was one of the original members, along with a steering committee of folks. One of the things that they did was reach out to the Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah, uh, Independent was formed in 1755. Uh, it has had its ebbs and flows of biblical faithfulness. There have been times where it really was almost an apostate church. But in the last 35 years or so, they have had tremendous uh, revival and great leadership under a pastor named Terry Johnson. Uh, he had a right-hand man there, his associate pastor named Ron Parrish. The leaders of this church, of the steering committee, reached out to Independent and said, hey, we, we like what you guys are doing. We appreciate the leadership you've shown. Uh, we appreciate your biblical faithfulness that has endured for 250 years. Would you help us in Beaufort to start a church like that? And through a sequence of events, uh, Terry and Ron uh, came alongside the steering committee and First Scots Independent Presbyterian Church of Beaufort was established. You've got on page seven a clipping of uh, a newspaper article that ran in the Beaufort Gazette. Um, that may be the last time the Beaufort Gazette covered anything north of the broad. Is that right? Never mind. Um, we, uh, for the first year, were an independent church plant. In 2014, we voted as a congregation to become part of the PCA. So since 2014, we are a PCA church. We functioned as a church plant, which just means we didn't have our own local elders till 2017. Uh, in 2017, we, we examined our first elders. It's a very extensive process of training and examining elders. I, I hope you take that as a tremendous encouragement that the elders of the church and the deacons of the church have to take extensive written and oral exams before they can go into office. Um, but in 2017, we had uh, our first three elders. Um, in 2018, we installed deacons. Um, since then, we've added deacons and elders. In 2016, just to rewind a little bit, we bought this piece of property um, with the goal of building a church on it as soon as we were financially able. Uh, in late 2017, we hired a, an architect, a local architect. I knew him growing up, actually, but that's not why we hired him. The reason we hired him 
was of the four architects that we sat down with, three of them told us, here's what you want. And they went on to tell us all this kind of normal uh, contemporary church stuff that, you know, it's what most churches do. It just didn't fit us. The fourth one, the one that we eventually hired, said, what do you think you want? And we began to tell him the vision for this building, and he captured it wonderfully. So he designed this building. Fraser Construction built it. We moved in two weeks after COVID lockdown started. Uh, so it certainly wasn't the way we imagined getting into the building, uh, but God has been so gracious to us. Um, if you look at page nine, and this is going to be some reading material for you, page nine will tell you about our denomination, about the PCA. Uh, the PCA is a, what's called a grassroots denomination. In other words, we don't have bureaucrats who run things in the PCA. Uh, to go back to this idea of the equality of elders, um, Ron's vote at General Assembly is, has as much weight as probably the most famous of PCA pastors, Tim Keller, uh, who just died earlier this year. Ron's vote and Tim Keller's vote were the exact same weight. We don't have bureaucrats that are running things. It is elder-led. And so that's why we go every year to what's called General Assembly, to discuss the matters of the church and vote on the things that are important. Uh, So you've got more information about the PCA there. The PCA has a missions organization called MTW. That's a foreign missions organization. We have a domestic organization called Mission to North America. Um, We have a uh, campus ministry called RUF. Have y'all ever heard of RUF? Who in here knows what RUF was called before they changed the name? It was called Reformed University Ministries. But what would happen was it was uh, on all the signs, it said instead of RUF, it said RUM. Well, college students love that, a ministry that advertises rum. Um, But they decided over time that was probably not the very best name for a college campus ministry. And so the name was changed to Reformed University Fellowship. RUF is on most major college campuses in the U.S., Uh, We have one at College of Charleston, University of South Carolina, Clemson. Um, There's about 140 chapters uh, in the U.S. as well as around the world. Um, So please read over that uh, this week and just familiarize yourself with the PCA. I want you to look at page 11 now, if you would. I want to talk about the necessity of church membership, why church membership is so important. And you, you at least agree with that to some extent, or you wouldn't be taking this class. Um, but church membership is particularly important today, and I would argue that it's held in lower esteem than ever. You know, in the first century, the second century, the third century, to publicly identify as a Christian involved great risk to yourself. What kind of risk did you uh, endure if you publicly identified as a believer? Persecution. Persecution. Yep. At the very least, you would probably be alienated from your family, a Jewish family, um, or if they were a pagan family, in most cases, you would have been alienated from your family. Yeah. You would be pushed to the fringes of society, even if it wasn't hard persecution of actual beatings or death, you would be pushed to the fringes of society. It was really that way for the first three centuries uh, of the church. It changed in about 312 with Constantine. Uh, Constantine's an interesting character. I'm not positive he was really converted, but outwardly he had signs of being supportive of Christianity, and he then... Uh, went from perse- Christianity being persecuted in Rome to being the, um, the primary religion of Rome. But in the centuries prior to that, there was great risk in being a Christian. We have come to a day where church membership is a very casual thing. A lot of churches have ceased to have church membership at all. For example, if you are familiar with the church Elevation in Charlotte, it's probably one of the biggest churches in the world. They do not have church membership. Uh, They think that's old and archaic and outdated. Um, 
In many other churches, church membership is held in very low regards. We hold church membership in very high regard because it is a public commitment to follow Christ alongside his people before a lost and dying world. Church membership is a public commitment to follow Christ alongside his people in a lost and dying world. Joining a church is a visible commitment to Jesus Christ. In the scriptures, we do not see people making private commitments to follow Jesus. In other words, they're not saying, I'm now a believer, but they're sort of closet Christians. To be a Christian was a public commitment. It was canonized. It was made formal through church membership. Church membership is a powerful statement in the midst of a low commitment culture. Um, My dad, since he was 19 years old, guess how many jobs he's had? One job. (laughs) Uh, Those days are gone. You know, those days are very much gone. We are a low commitment culture. Not all of that's bad. You know, some of it are good changes. But change is normal in our culture today. Commitment is minimal. You think of, of the major commitment that people make in our culture. The main commitment that is still normal in our culture is marriage. Well, you just think of divorce rates, how high divorce rates are increasing. Very few commitments are seen as binding today. Church membership is a countercultural act to say, I am following Jesus Christ with these people as long as he providentially has me here. Church membership also keeps us accountable to one another. I was talking to a friend one time and he went to a church of about a thousand people. Have any of y'all ever been to a church that big before? Um, there's some neat things you can do. There's a lot of missions giving power. There's lots of, of, of neat stuff about it. But one of the things he was saying, I said, why do you go to that church? It's, it's so big. You can get lost in the crowd and be totally unknown. He said, that's why I go. I want to be able to miss six months and nobody notice. I, I want to be able to show up when I want to and not show up when I want to. That is a distinctly non-Christian attitude. The Christian attitude towards the church is I am committing myself to the corporate gathering and the building up of the body of Jesus Christ. We need accountability. Um, People sometimes drift away from the church, don't they? You've seen it. You've seen it in your own life. Perhaps you've experienced it yourself. People drift away. And If the church is not careful to do that, if they don't have a careful membership structure, there's no way to determine, is this person drifting or not? Because we don't know if they consider themselves a part of our body. Um, Hebrews 13, the author of Hebrews gives the warning that leaders will give account for the souls of those who are under them. I think about that a lot. If we didn't have church membership, I would have no idea for whom I'm supposed to give account one day. I met somebody one time in public. Uh, They had been to one worship service here about two years before. And I ran into them. They introduced me to the people they were with. And they said, oh, this is Alex. He's my pastor. I thought, this is news to me. (laughs) Church membership gives us a structure for understanding who belongs publicly to Jesus Christ and who belongs publicly to this church. It tells our elders... Who has God called us to shepherd? If we don't have church membership, we have no idea who God has put us in charge of. So it keeps us accountable. Church membership gives you a place to use your gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. We, uh, we believe that you are here at First Scott's and all the members that he brings here are here to make us a better church, to make us a stronger church for the sake of the glory of the gospel. And so as you come, as you join the church, as you seek to use your gifts, God will use you in ways that we don't know right now that we need. You know, you ever think about your pinky? You don't often think about how important your pinky is. Right? It just seems kind of inconsequential. Or your pinky toe until you stub it and you realize how bad it hurts. But, you know, 
even the smallest parts of the body, the seemingly most inconsequential parts of the body, are vital for healthy function. And that's true in the church. And so as you pray about church membership, one of the things you're asking is not just, is this the church that I like going to? Is it fun? Am I growing? But is this a place that I can use my gifts? Um, Finally, and I'm kind of skipping around here, but church membership assures you that you'll be under the regular teaching of God's word. Charles Spurgeon um, had this great quote, and you, if you have been around here for a while, you know that I don't typically make it through a, a lesson or sermon without quoting Charles Spurgeon. I like him so much I named my dog after him. I've always wondered if he'd be pleased with that or not, having a dog named after him. But Spurgeon has a quote where he says, Many men preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. That's how I feel. There are many who can preach the gospel better, but there's nobody that can preach a better gospel. And part of church membership is you making a commitment that you want to be under the week by week by week by week by week administration, uh, preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, praying with your church family, all of that. Acts 17, Paul commends the Bereans for they were nobler than any other believers of the day because they searched the scriptures for themselves to see that these things were so. I don't think that means they went home and did their quiet time. I think it means that as a church family, they sat under the ministry of the word. They saw it for themselves that what was being preached was true and then they put it to work in their own lives. Church membership is incredibly vital. I want you to read through that article, if you would, uh, that I've written for you there. And then um, we'll talk next week about how you join the church. Let me ask you to do one more um, homework assignment for me. And it's on page 17. This is the article that I think summarizes who we are and what we believe better than anything that has ever been written. It was written by a friend of this church, a man named Ligon Duncan. Uh, Many of you know Dr. Duncan. Uh, He didn't write it with this church in mind. He wrote it before this church existed. But I think if you want to understand the heartbeat of First Scots, learn this article. Read it. uh, And we're going to spend some time discussing it, Lord willing, next week. Um, So I'll get an email out uh, in the next day or two about the luncheon next Sunday. Hopefully you're able to join us for that uh, and we'll, uh, you'll get to know the officers of the church, but we'll pick back up one week from today. Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, I thank you so much for these men and women and I pray that you would lead and guide and direct them if this is to be their church home. Father, encourage them with what's going on here. Help them to know how to pray and how to participate in this work. Lord, as we prepare to go into worship in just a few minutes, we ask that your blessing would rest upon us, that your Holy Spirit would empower us uh, to sing, to pray, to hear the word, to read it, and to apply it in a way that uh, would not only glorify you, but it would change us to the core. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.